was a shark. It was a shark with a bite radius about a yard across. Don't be silly. Indicator. A shark of some 35 feet in length. You've said it exactly. Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. Our shark still has all its teeth. Yeah. That means it was a baby. Our shark couldn't have killed Overman. Its mother did. This episode will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. I'm listening. Now, if there is such an animal, she gave birth way out to sea and the baby swam through the sea gate that you left open. No. Overman was killed inside the park. The baby was caught inside the park. Its mother is inside the park. Today, as part of our look back at the Jaws franchise, we'll be discussing... Jaws 3D, starring Dennis Quaid. A white sharks are killers. I know them. My father, my brother, myself. They're murderers. Bess Armstrong. Look, why do you to do this? Why don't you just let her Majesty number one son take care of it, huh? Because it's my job, remember? Simon McCorkendale. If we kill this beastie on camera, I can guarantee you media coverage. Leah Thompson. Hey, let's go swimming. And Lewis Gossett Jr. Some lights down there. I got him right here. Get some shit down there. Get me some medical attention here, quick! Directed by Joe Alvers. Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. Hey, I'm mad at the old boy Jaws too, but I don't mean him any harm, you hear me? I don't mean him any harm. It's Gally in Glasgow. Aw, oh, baby brother. It's Devlin in London. I need my wallet! It's Patrick in London. Look at the clown in the jockey shorts. It's Matt in South Korea. Oh, welcome back, listeners. <laughs> and welcome back, gang. Yes, we are back in the third dimension. Yes, audio that you can see and feel and touch. Depth. Yes. And we're going to provide some depth to this here movie, aren't we? We're going to be discussing... Jaws 3D, part of our series as we go through all of the movies in the Jaws franchise. Now, listen, listeners and uh, gang, you're going to have to bear with me here. Um, a little side story, but I think it's going to colour my perspective on this movie. All right. So last night I went to, last night, you don't know what date this is, listeners, you just have to guess. Um, but last night I went to see Beyonce with my fiance. Uh, that rhymes. Oh. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I should be a lyrical genius. Uh, anyway, I went to see it and very, very fortunate. It was a bit of a gift. Went in hospitality. So you normally think, you know, champagne of the working class. So you've got a little bit of, um, you know, a little less riffraff or whatever. Anyway, <laughs> uh, during the gig, which you'd expect to be a kind of very, you know, bubblegum pop gig where everyone's having a great time. There's not really a great deal of, uh, you know, stuff going on. Anyway, about an hour and a half in, a chap just vomited everywhere. Uh, in the in the four rows ahead of us, and I I can only uh, if you if you've ever seen Problem Child two and the roller coaster sequence where there is projectile vomit everywhere, it's kind of it was like that. I've never seen an area be cleared, and for us it was fantastic. <laughs> I had a great view of uh, the whole gig, but my God, a Beyonce gig, and he threw up on everybody. Uh, they were very very. <laughs> but what I'm what I you know this tangential. Uh, story means is that it's essentially changed my perspective because it was probably the best thing I've ever seen. Certainly this weekend. Oh, you're a bit euphoric. It's it's altered I your brain. I feel Matt like I'm lifted because it was mm. truly 
momentous. God bless them. The G4S staff had not got a clue, as in, what is the uh, contingency if someone <laughs> throws up on everyone? Um, and they didn't have one. So there they, you go. They've got one if someone shits themselves, but not for that. No, no. no. Well, the, it's normally self-contained, isn't it? But uh, no, this was everywhere. <laughs> isn't it like a sawdust bucket, like at primary school? And yeah, that was always the case, wasn't it? Like, oof, three three in a day. This little, um, it's like Mario Kart, isn't it? Trying to get to it. <laughs> and then you just go to the go to the box and pull out a spare pair of trousers. Absolutely. Yeah, um, I, well, I'm going to pull this right back this time <laughs> story and say, yes, that was that was amazing. This is also amazing. We're going to discuss it, aren't we? I'll start with you, Matt. First experiences with Jaws three. I think I've said before because we've done two of these now. I used to judge it on the death of the shark, and I couldn't even remember how the shark died in this one. <laughs> so uh, th- this was my first rewatch of it, and it may even be my first full watch ever because I don't remember even watching it all the way through when I was little. Um, I may have even abandoned it, but um, I- I'm not sure I'd seen it all the way through until now. And this one was kind of bizarre because Dennis Quaid was one of my acting go-to heroes. In my youth, I, I liked uh, Inner Space a ridiculous amount. Tuck Pendleton, zero defects. Um, so I was looking forward to seeing a bit of Quaid. And uh, I remembered that the the image of the finale with the shark coming through the window was like a shockingly dreadful thing. It's just notoriously bad, isn't it? And I always remembered that because it's been kind of made fun of. Um, I do have memories of going to Hong Kong when I was younger and we went to an, uh, like an aquarium undersea kind of sea worldy place. I think it was called Waterworld, but not the Costner one. Uh, and there was lots of sharks and things like that. So I, I remember connecting the film to that and going through these kind of undersea kingdoms as they're called in, in the film and, and kind of picturing what it would be like if a shark got in and, and all that kind of stuff. But um, that was one of my only connections to it. I'd struggled with this one because none of the characters had been carried over. And even as a kid, that felt very strange to me. I know that they're the Brody brothers, but it wasn't enough for me. The only reason I quite like or tolerated Jaws 2 was because of the continuation of uh, the Chief's story. And I was too young to detect that the Spielbergian magic was kind of absent. Um, but yeah, this, this one felt completely alien to me on a, on a rewatch. Um, so it was really like watching it for the first time. So I'm just going to have to talk about it in, in that sense, really. Um, well, that's dangerous, I think. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, which is strange because Jaws is my favorite. It's my absolute favorite. And, and yet I'd never really taken this one in, uh, Devlin, how about you? Cause I remember you saying that you were a Jaws three apologist. Has that carried over or, or has that gone out the window? Is one that I'd seen a couple of times as a kid, I think. Um, and I actually rewatched it probably within the last three or four years. Um, and while I was watching it, I found it to be one of those kind of, I, I, I really do put it in the so bad it's good category. I think that there's enough in there of the stuff that I love about really fucking badly made films. It's like I I figured it for being like silly enough that I can put, I can put this one on quite a lot. I think out of all the Jaws movies, this is probably the one that if it's on TV, I'll probably stop and watch it because I know that something very stupid is going to happen in a relatively short order. So um uh 
I do remember being around when I was a kid, but it's one that I um I I came to appreciate a bit later. Whether I'm still an apologist for it, we will see. <laughs> but um, but I do find it very fun. Um, how about you, Patrick? Uh, I I hadn't seen it before this week. Um, sadly, I don't have a. I I still haven't seen Jaws two. I'm really sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, there's no connect at all between the two, yeah, so I wouldn't worry. No. Well, I meant yeah. to watch it this week in prep for this, and then I realised there was no connection apart from the the Brody stuff. But um, yeah, sadly, I don't have a story of um, a night out in Birmingham to um, regale you with, and this one and an all nighter watching it with a live orchestra, which is a shame. But um, mm. I was somewhat familiar with the shot you mentioned matt of the 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 finale shark approach um yeah i had when i saw it uh watching it this week i I realized i'd seen that before in um people pointing and laughing at um point of view um I, i don't remember it from being younger or anything like that in fact i thought jaws 3 was the michael caine one but now realise that's the revenge. The next one, the fourth yep, number four. Yep. Um, Jaws the revenge. Gally, had you seen this before? Yeah, I'm a little bit surprised, Patrick. I mean, I'm wondering. You know, maybe my dad had poor taste. I, I saw this one <laughs> a lot. I'm, I'm also thinking as well. We discussed this about um, sort of cheaper commodities, but uh, with an IP name. Jaws 3D was on television a lot. Is my memory. So, yeah, I remember. I don't, but, I don't remember it at all. Uh, but not like prime time, not like mm-hmm. at 8 p.m. Juris 3D. It's like, no, it starts at 11. Like uh, after match of the day, remember they used to sometimes just put some real shit on after. Color of night. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Color of night. Um, yeah. It's that kind of, yeah, we're in that ballpark. Uh, Sadly, it's where they dump Halloween 3 a lot of the times. Wow. Yeah. I was going to say that like, this is your. You said you like this film and Halloween 3. Do you like the third films in t- in series for some reason? Yeah, I think that there's something to be said for the point at which the wheels fully come off a series. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, so I've I've seen this one or had seen this one a lot. I have not revisited it in a long, long time. I actually had a bit of a blind spot like Matt. I will say now, I remember one of the shark deaths because I believe it is the best shark death. It is the most understated of all the shark deaths in Jaws, which is... The sad little baby shark that just slowly yeah. gives up on life as it, as it crawls around a little pond, little, uh, little sort of, yeah, it looks like a, that really up the tension for me, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, bloody Calvin didn't put enough salt in the water or whatever. Um, so yeah, <laughs> or, 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 um, Neil from the Inbetweeners had fed it a Subway sandwich, like in the Inbetweeners movie too. It's just such a funny death because, uh, the scale mm. of that shark as well is, uh, is massively out from what I'd seen before. But anyway, mm. I guess water, uh, can sort Sometimes distort size. I'm going to just retire something now, a term that gets banded about, and I think I've used it in the past, called the guilty pleasure. Let's just abandon that and call it pleasure. Because if you are an apologist, Devlin, don't be frightened. All right. Just there's no apologist here. If you enjoy it, you enjoy it, but we'll get to it. All right. Just like taking. I'm just saying guilty pleasure is a term that's a bit, eh, it's a bit barbed. I don't like it. If you like it, you like it. But um, I don't know whether I'm in the pleasure leisure arena yet but we'll find out okay well before we do patrick Mm. remind us and the listeners of the plot to jaws 3d calvin bouchard 
The park manager of SeaWorld is preparing to open their new attraction, a series of underwater tunnels in the lagoon, when the unsuspecting water skiers are followed into said lagoon through the main gate during their practice by a juvenile great white shark. Working there as chief engineer is son of a familiar police chief, Mike Brody, and his girlfriend Kay, who trains the dolphins, and is the park's senior biologist. The two dolphins, Cindy and Sandy, are spooked and don't want to leave their pen while the main gate is broken from lagoon to open sea. Bouchard has invited documentarian adventurer Philip Fitzroyce and his cockney sidekick to the park, while Mike's thalassophobic brother, Sean, visits too. He's an expert at the game of standoff. That night... Mechanic Shelby Overman dives in to repair the gate and is attacked by the shark and killed, while Mike, Kay and Sean catch up over drinks. Sean woos Kelly, one of the water skiers, and they go for a dip despite Sean's phobia. Meanwhile, two thieves go to steal coral, and as they do, are killed by the shark as well. Overman's girlfriend tells Mike and Kay that he's missing, so they submerge in the submarine car to explore the filtration system and Spanish galleon, but are attacked by the shark, only to be saved by the dolphins. That was a close one. Fitzroy suggests they kill the shark for publicity, but Kay protests, opting for the moral option. Capture the shark and nurse it to health in captivity to show the world exciting updates of the only great white shark in captivity. They're successful and get to work. But as it's opening day, they've sold three times their projected tickets. Bouchard wants to exhibit the great white shark and orders it to pool number six. While the water skiers dazzle, the underwater tunnels excite, and Kelly cajoles Sean into a bumper boat, the great white dies on display. As if it can get any worse, Overman's mangled corpse is seen from a lookout window in the new tunnel, causing a panic amongst the visitors, and one poor girl's face is smushed against the glass by a random hand. Kay inspects the wounds and deduces there must be a much bigger shark on attack, the juvenile's mother. And as the informed Bouchard, the mother duly takes its cue, appearing from its hiding place, terrifying all amongst mass evacuation, and attacks Kelly. But the mother isn't done yet and attacks the tunnels, trapping tourists below. Fitzroyce hatches a plan to trap the shark back in the filtration pipe, but is swallowed whole before he can open the grenade. Mike and Kay work to fix the tunnel and free the tourists as Bouchard decides to stop the pumps in an attempt to suffocate the bitch. But her tail is too strong. She frees herself from the pipe and attacks Mike and Kay, but, but thank God for Cindy and Sandy who come to the rescue again. As Mike, Kay, Bouchard and dispensable technicians watch from the control centre, the civilians freed, the mother makes another attack, this time at an agonisingly stiff one mile per hour, smashing the glass and killing said technician. Shock! Mike sees Fitzroy's convenient hand gripped around the grenade protruding from the mother's mouth and manages to pull the pen blowing up the shark. The dolphins celebrate wildly. <laughs> very, very <Yay>. good, Patrick. <laughs> this one's a bit of a strange one, right? And I think it is best to start with um, why the third in a series tends to get a bit messy. And I think that mm. will then inform us as to... Because like one of the reasons we said we were going to do the whole Jaws franchise is because it kind of feels like the blueprint for at least the next 30 years of kind of big ip sequelizing diminishing returns but this mm. feels like that th this jaws 3d 
you know, we've done a, I'm not, I'm in no way comparing this to Alien 3, by the way. But, you know, you get this sense of like, uh oh, we're running, we're running a little loose. Um, mm. and, and I had some other examples and the other examples, uh, and again, listeners, if you've got any other ones, please send them to me. But I like Robocop 3 feels like yeah. a real mm. departure from Robocop 2, let alone Robocop. Um, mm. I, I thought about, um, another one was, I quite liked X-Men in the 2000s. And then the third one came out and it was, oh, this is rubbish. The second X-Men is considered pretty... Yeah. Oh, it's got... Yeah, it's uh, good. uh, Spider-Man 3 as well, where it's... Spider-Man 3 was the one that hurt me the most. Yeah, it did hurt me. I was a Mm. big, uh, you know... (laughs) You always... I was big on it. Uh, And that third one really did damage, as in... I did not want to go see another Spider-Man movie. Is it a case of, like, some films are planned as trilogies and they tend to work... And and then other, I shouldn't say films, um, series. And then I, I suppose other ones where it's like a cash-in, as you say, diminishing returns. They kind of run out of ways to put the characters with, like into the drama here. They're hanging on to this Brody idea. Um, and it's just getting harder and harder to put people into these situations again in a believable way. And, of course, every time you make one of these films, so many uh sequences and um uh um what would it be uh set pieces have already been kind of done and it's getting harder and harder to kind of go back to the well well there, there's something in that though isn't there is it cut your losses and you've done the best you can and they tend to mm. i don't know do studios want to press a reset button and try something different i actually quite I think the idea of SeaWorld is an interesting concept to take it away from... The premise from, isn't the problem, is no, it? No, it's not at all. Um, but some t- Spider-Man isn't this example, but there's a few examples I can think of where it's the same director for the first two films and they've, you know, learned from the first one and made it better. I, I, you know, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, or yeah. Aliens is done really well. Honestly, it's not the same director, but one and two, you know, then you get into the when the whistle blows, they go abroad yeah. to try and reset the, the thing. They, they try something different because Roy Scheider comes back in drag. They're out of, <laughs> <laughs> they're out of ideas here and there. Because, well, um, uh, Jaws and, and Halloween is an interesting one, largely because they went, they followed a very similar trajectory, which is that you had this really iconic opening and then a second film, which is essentially as, as best they can, just a clone. Like it's the same place you try and get most of the same people back. You kind of just try and fool people again. And I think in every case, somebody usually in production finally realized like, that's the last time we can do this. Like we've, we've tricked them to come into the second one, but for the third one, we're going to have to go elsewhere. But I think the problem that they've got is that you tend to, with these unplanned franchises, you're, starting from a blank slate but what you also have is a bunch of invested shareholders and stakeholders who all have ideas of where this should go but you have no roadmap whatsoever to know what to do so in the case of a halloween three that's like um carpenter had quite a lot of sway which meant that he could get this like completely mad idea um put out because you know he was uh, uh he had enough authority to do so here nobody had authority to make a decision really like uh Zanuck and Brown were the ones that decided that they were going to make a third. They were the ones that said we can't do Amity Island anymore. The premise is a hundred percent not the problem. I think the premise yeah. is spot on for a third. Uh when you think yeah. about es- escalation being the thing that you 
you kind of expect to see in a sequel. Um, so your expectations are if it's in, in a kind of a public sea world type place, carnage is what you're kind of expecting, or at least that's what my expectations were when you think about that kind of premise. And you mentioned the Brodies, Gally, like, are they necessary? And I, I don't think they are, but why not make them Brodies at this point? I mean, why not just throw that in? I mean, I don't think it's necessary, but. I suppose um, there's, it's so inconsequential to the film. Well, uh, we're talking about the film here. It but... also, it, it plays a bit silly, doesn't it, that the, the shark is chasing the Brodies. And then by the time you get to four, when it's chasing Ellen, yeah. and then Ellen's chasing it, uh, it all it, it becomes like, what's the deal with sharks in this family? It, it, it becomes <laughs> preposterous, doesn't it? Yeah. And this idea that there's a family of sharks and there's a, they know, they have a concept of revenge. Jaws yeah. the shark and, um, his sort of siblings and. Jaws the shark. <laughs> Here comes Jaws. When we were kids, we used to make up like which one, oh, that's the mum. Oh, that's the mum. And then, oh, no, that's the dad. They do that on, on purpose. This is the first film where they, where they decide like, Oh yeah, it's 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 his mum. It, it's it's, it's <laughs> I looked at the bite radius and uh, it looked like the it looked like the bite radius of a mum. This film feels uh, quite confused, I would say. So we've got a strong, mm. I think, a strong premise. We're in the third in a series, and we are, you know, they made the sensible decision to, de- to depart from what we've known before. Yeah, a little bit of uh, hanging fruit with the Brodies, but as a, as I say, I think if you remove the names. Really, what consequence is it? Not, not at all. Really, apart from yeah. one, apart from mm. one of them having the anecdotal um, line of "they're murderers." I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, okay, but you could have just been somebody who, but as Patrick says, they don't really do anything with no, it, do they? No. They don't really. The dolphin I mean, Sean disappears from the film for like fifty minutes at one point. Sean's scared of water, but goes in ten seconds later. It's, well, yeah, well, Lee is quite convincing there. Thinking yeah. with his dick, <laughs> yeah. and not with his fin. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so Devlin, this one yeah. they they bring to you know studio are like, listen, Jaws two, despite um, some critical, you know, couple of couple of bumps in the road there, makes money. Yeah, um, and also you're we're in the one of the things that we need to kind of add context to for this third film is that we've got imitators now of the Jaws film. So is it Orca and with Piranha, which is also a bit of a skewering of, of that, that here premise? Big gap between two and three. Um, mm. One and two is, is three years, five years between the, the films on this. So that is indicative of like, if they aren't rushing stuff to production, it means that even they know that they don't have much on the page there. So um, what they, uh, uh, in 78, they were outgrossed by Animal House by a factor of many times over and what they did was Zanuck and Brown are nothing if not like financially astute so they looked at the balance sheets and they were like well Jaws 2 was much more expensive than Jaws and made less money Animal House was made for a relative pittance and made absolute gangbusters so they decided mm-hmm. well comedy movie comedy is becoming a thing and I think by this point the early 80s that would be that would be that would be the case you were getting blockbuster comedy and spoof films were just starting to become a thing airplane came out in 1980 so mm-hmm. probably what they did was they just they they got in their heads that they were going to create a spoof of jaws called jaws three people zero and they figured considering that they were um beaten at the box office by animal house again i don't know how 
like <laughs> smart these guys are, but they just said, uh, <laughs> well, let's just get the guy who did that because that's the film that beat us. So let's literally get him. So they went to Matty Simmons from uh, uh, National Lampoon. Uh, and he went ahead and uh, commissioned two of his writers who worked with him on, um, they were magazine writers at the time, so they were creating content for the National Lampoon magazine, but also they'd written uh, some TV. There was a TV spinoff of Animal House called Delta House, and he picked two of the writers who won that. Um, one was a guy called Todd Carroll, and the other was John Hughes. Hmm. Ooh. Um, who at that point was, was already creating the work would be, that would become like the vacation series. He was doing the, the essay series in the magazine. Um, and it was a self-referential meta movie about the making of a Jaws film where a real shark comes in and starts cutting its way through the, through the cast and crew. Sounds like Scream 3. I think uh, Kevin Williamson owes John Hughes some money. God, there's another part three, isn't it? Because that's not a trilogy, is it? Let's face it. So uh, that was nixed because uh, uh, Spielberg said absolutely not. Well, that's the man. You said there was no one who had authority, but I suppose that is the one thing in this era is that Spielberg, has he got a deal with Universal as well he's, at this point? Uh, yeah. yeah. So essentially he's like, he says, if you as the studio go ahead with this like ransacking of my, you know, breakthrough film. Cause I would imagine that he would be smart enough to realize that you probably, if there's still money in the tank on this thing, like you would completely don't kill the cash cow. Yeah, you'd deflate it completely. Right. Like there's already knockoffs, but if you yourself as the linear franchise are taking the piss out of your own product, I don't know whether that, I mean, I don't know whether you guys think that that would have... Ironically, like, it would have been... It's more embarrassing the way it is now than if they would have spoofed it and just gone out. I think you said, Dev, about Gremlins 2 mm. when Joe Dante detonated the franchise. Yeah, he owned it. I think that they were your yeah. words. I thought that was beautifully put. And I think if they were trying to do that, they could have just gone out on a bit of a high and gone out on mm. on a on a very different note and sort of made spoofed themselves, made fun of themselves, made a lot of money, probably, and then just ended it. And Jaws would have kept its prestige. A film that ends with a freeze frame of two dolphins jumping out joyously in the water and celebrating with the actors. How seriously does that film take itself? This is this is where we we start to get into like, so what did you end up with, and how much did you mean it? Because um, <laughs> yeah, so like after after this all falls apart, Zanuck and Brown are done. They're out. Uh, they say they can't work. Zanuck and Brown are the producers, yeah? Yeah. Uh, mm. And once they walk, um, it, it, uh, a TV producer and documentary producer called Alan Landsberg takes over. Um, and this is why I think that as a an instruction on how not to construct a franchise on the fly, this is, I think there's a lot of parallels with Jaws 2, which is that Jaws 2 had that torturous production. They had a really interesting germ of an idea of like the resonance of the original shark attack um, creating almost a ghost town that was desperate to recover from, you know, the, the mm. financial uh, uh, loss that they'd suffered uh, with the tourists not wanting to come back. And instead what you ended up with is just a bunch of teenagers twatting around on boats. <laughs> Whereas in the original film, there was a reason why they were doing that. But now it's just, you're left, you're haunted by the ghosts of the films that died on the way to the one that you end up with. So here, uh, Landsberg um, had seen a uh, short film from 1978, a 3D short film. Uh, I think it's called Marine World, um, or possibly it was it was displayed at Marine World. It was a uh, it was 25 minutes long, but it was like this experimental 3D short by the guy who actually went um, 
he shot all the footage for the 1970 Isle of Wight Festival, if you've ever seen any of that kind of famous footage of oh, yeah. uh, Jimi Hendrix and, and, and all them lads. My dad was there. Brilliant. Well, Claim to yeah, fame. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so this guy, Murray Lerner, uh, uh, is kind of being touted. And because that short was, was, uh, set at like a, a, a sea world type thing, marine world, I guess. And it's in 3D. So obviously this, this, this gets Landberg's little light bulb on and he contacts, uh, uh, Murray Lerner and he shows them what they've got so far. And he's so horrified with the script that he says, I cannot be a part of this project. <laughs> I think he was like offended that they wow. thought he would be interested. Um, so that's why you end up, um, somehow with a script credited to Richard Matheson, who is like legitimately a sci-fi and horror legend and Carl Gottlieb, who was the co-writer on the first film. I have a Matheson quote. If you'd like one, uh, he said, uh, he's, he's a good storyteller and, and he, he thinks he wrote a good outline and a good script. And if they'd done it his way and it had been directed by somebody who knew what they were doing, it, it would have been an excellent movie, he thought. And um I'm not sure if it's Alves or Alves. I think I've I've heard Joe Alves um it pronounced that way, but um he said he's a very skilled production designer, but as a director, no. Why did he get the job? He's good. Well, he said that he said the so-called 3D made the film look murky and it had no effect whatsoever. It was a waste of time. That was Matheson's quote. Uh, Patrick, I think, I think his, his hat's in the ring because of the original film. He's the production designer on Jaws. And I think the only reason it's even in the ring is because he was on those original he did credits. Close Encounters as well. It's just mad. That but he, he was, got he was second, second unit, I believe on, on, at least on Jaws 2. And possibly did some stuff. Mm. He definitely shot some stuff at the lighthouse. I remember when we researched that mm. one that there was a couple of sequences that that he got involved with. Definitely. It feels very yeah. high concept, this doesn't it? it but it, like, I didn't know that, Dev. So thank you because I've come in. I was hoping you'd educate me today. But it does feel like someone went to SeaWorld on holiday with their kids and thought, oh, you know what would be a really good story here? Like, what mm. if a shark attacked here? Like telling their yeah. kids something high concept like that and wrote a you know elevator pitch based on that yeah and we're also we're you know we're a decade removed from the the disaster movies height in yeah. in kind of hollywood um and it does feel like a, a reclamation project because you're in the third of a series anyway and this is where like tonally i just couldn't work out whether or not we are are we are we to laugh like with a little little grin uh and a little wink wink or are we genuinely supposed to be horrified by you know, a shark terrorizing um, SeaWorld, which then led me to ask questions like, if you are SeaWorld, which one of <laughs> you, you said doing? we're happy with? Like, we're happy to lampoon or are we happy to be like, no, please terrorize our, our fictional guests? Yeah, but the, the dolphins are victorious. So it's a victory for SeaWorld. And Shamu is, well, I mean, for one, it's an, like an advert for Shamu for one scene mm. that doesn't come back. It's it also shows a bit ineptitude from the corporate side of things which is was that yeah. trying to be the um the, the mayor from jaws do you think like a, a, a representation totally, of that? totally. And, and again i i yeah. had questions like well okay if you've got this kind of what appears to be the um kind of new newly wealthy chap who's bought this place and he talks about i set the prices i'm the but then he sounds like he's an operations director, not an owner. But he's mm. an owner who's mm. very hands-on. <laughs> Goes to the control room. 
there's a little line, um, and it's a it's an ADR line, and it's off screen as well. So it is like a you know blinking you miss it where they're in the the journalists uh, are talking to the press guy, and Bouchard is just about to walk to 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 go and speak to them, and you hear the line, oh, well, uh, no questions on his colourful past. I'm like, well, yeah. What was that colourful past? Because that would really help us understand why he makes some pretty, you know, he makes some, some bad judgments. Here come my pride and joy. <laughs> Are we going to get a chance to talk to Mr. Bouchard? Beautiful. Just beautiful. Pertaining to this exciting new complex, we would, however, like to avoid references to his colourful past. <laughs> Did the Undersea Kingdom really cost sure. three million dollars? <laughs> Aren't those kids great? Oh, yeah. <laughs> is there anything special going on opening day? Well, this afternoon, at the main gate, we'd be pleased to announce the welcoming of Mr. Philip Fitzroyce. Oh, really? He's a live boy and girl. He's going to be here. Now we got drinks at the bar. Day free. Come on. Follow me. The first three have all got these elements. I mean, the, the mayor is kind of, it's quite repetitive. The Murray Hamilton mayor in the second one, it's the same kind of deal. They're ignoring the chief. But here there's an archetypal greedy boss. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it, it took me a while to realize how much of a ripoff he actually was of the original mayor, but it soon kind of becomes very obvious mm-hmm. that that's what, that's what he's doing. But it felt very John Hammond as well, didn't it? It felt like... um he didn't really have a noble reason for doing what he was doing. Unlike John Hammond, Matt, we don't get the scene where somebody sort of finds out why he's in this. What, what are you in it for? You know, John Hammond gets the one humanizing moment it's with no Laura Dern. Yeah, scene. it's like, yeah. I wanted something to make a touch. We don't have that. We just got this guy who's talking about my cutting back over here, but then is willing to spend loads of money on these two, uh, crazy, well, the governor and, um, an old Harry. Harry Hatchet. So yeah, it's, it's a strange one. Gally, do you remember on uh, Deep Blue Sea when we talked about this and there was a lack of a, a direct villain uh, or like a, an mm, antagonist? Yes. Except for the sharks. Like they were trying to do stuff with. Larry the shark can't be the villain. We've said this before. <laughs> right, right, exactly. There's no, there's no real villain like directly or indirectly except for the sharks. And uh, th- they didn't do enough with that in either either deep blue sea which is kind of reminiscent of this in some ways and a, and a shark i'm i'm pretty sure swims backwards in this which i was led to believe from deep blue sea they couldn't do <laughs> <laughs> that, that's right oh god that tail breaks that fence don't it's yeah that, that baffled me you know do, do you know we're slagging off the um we're slagging off the fences a bit but there was one shot that was very memorable to me it was kind of as the sun was going down or coming up and the the gates were just clanking together and it was just lingered on it and it sounded like the the buoy or the boy from the beginning of of jaws and i thought that's above water it's suggestive of movement beneath the surface maybe joe alves knows you know, he's going to use some of this kind of technique and it never happens, does it? Cause I, I agree that there's no suspense. We start even at the, the, the beginning. It's, um, it was a swift, there's a shark and it's in, it's, it's all very rushed and get, get the shark into the place and blah, blah, blah. There, there is, um, there was a shot when it attacks Kelly and there's blood that gushes underwater. And that shot actually elicited a bit of fear in me, which, is a good thing, but maybe it's comes with the territory that a shark attack is inherently terrifying. And that one 
was like the the one moment where I thought, oh god, that was um that was quite effective and uh you know shit me up a bit. And it was trying to draw out, but I'm using the word trying because it is trying. It's like it you know, a basic understanding of how tension works that is quite, quite, quite bang. And it's just, it, it's not patient at all in any of that build up. And it, it, it doesn't, it's not effective. I, I'm with you, Matt. It, keep it hidden for a longer time. Um, I think like Overman, the Overman, 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 his death is like shambolic from, editing and and uh direction it's it's not effective at all galley sorry did you have anything on that yeah i just wanted to say that i um i'm always really really enthusiastic and fascinated by seeing people step up into roles that that you know literally just stepping up in departments um but this is a you know this is a complete departure from where Joe Alves, the director of this film, was. He was the production designer, right? So that's not, um, it's not unheard of. We, we, our, our gym commandments, you know, he was, uh, working in production and production design before he, you know, moved over into direction. So you can see there's a pathway there. And, and I'm always, um, I'm always like kind of willing to see like people really strive when they're given the opportunities. And you can think about like Spielberg is dealing with, um, when, when he's on Jaws that, is he is he used to spe- you know the kind of special effects and the the animatronics of a shark and no he's learning on the on the fly but he's got a team around him that can support him and let's you know uh, let's also talk about the fact that he's incredibly talented at what he does so that that element is what I feel is missing and my worry was not the fish head in the 3D uh. and we'll talk about the 3D it was actually before that um, because for me one of the easiest things to shoot in a Jaws film is the Jaws POV. Did you not notice that it looked like it was pissed for the first <laughs> kind of bits? Like they were almost trying to set the camera and yeah. there's none of that elegant glide. Like if you think about all the underwater sequences in Jaws and indeed in Jaws 2, the idea is that you are in the shark's POV and there's a mm. kind of grace about the camera work. Yeah. There is no grace here. We didn't give Geno Schwark uh, a great deal of credit largely because he's not very good um but there were moments especially the um the underwater pov when the shark is attacking the water skier we, we all kind of agreed that that yeah. looked at least it had like energy to it and it looked kind of uh uh fun and competent i like the tracking shot of the fin there as well i know galley you weren't that that big of a fan but compare compare it to this and also the other thing about the ski sequence and it's actually a really good direct comparison is they do a similar thing here in the opening couple of minutes and the thing that's missing is the pov getting closer to the legs under the Mm -hmm. wall if you don't have that then what am i watching the visual language means that i cannot (laughs) i'm basically saying that the shark is nowhere near them that's what but the music is saying Mm -hmm. It could get them right now. So it's like there's a disconnect there. The the physical geography of this film, uh, within scenes and across the entire of the rest of the film, was so baffling that by the end of it, I genuinely was completely lost. And I think that that comes like that's that's a, a kind of a pretty key part of directing. Really, is to know where you are in scenes and then to know where those scenes will fit together 
So I think like we jump around so much and um uh, our introduction of of Dennis Quaid as Mike, our introduction of our new our new hero, our returning hero is so bungled that I genuinely I mean Matt I usually kind of turn to you on this one in terms of like what's what's your hero doing when you first meet him what's your protagonist doing when you first meet him yeah I'm glad that's caught on I don't know somebody told me that one I think it was at Dalton College but it's a good uh good little reference the appearance of Mike here who is just just no no over time and then he wobbles away (laughs) in the most uncomfortable manner on a tiny little skidoo so we have our little introductory speech. We find out that he's got a colorful past. We, he, he, they show us the uh, scale model of what the, the new tunnels are going to look like. Oh, there's so like, so you, you they think that looked like a birthday cake. It, it looked weird. It really did. And it, it was hardly John McTiernan <laughs> yeah. in Die Hard, was it? Like you're showing like this and then having some nerd explain where everything so, is. Got that. So it's like, Did you like the SeaWorld like, staff, like uh, briefing yeah. the staff as oh, well? Oh God, yeah. Then there's the <laughs> Southern gentleman. It's like, so it's, it's broad. It's weird. We're meeting way too many people. Philip Fitzroyce is coming. So let's get excited about Philip Fitzroyce's appearance. Like, and then we meet Mike and uh, I, I just... And and he's so um I like to say Dennis Quaid gets a lot, but his his appearance is is strange. I don't know what he does. I know he works at the park. Why wouldn't you fix the gate in daylight? Why did Overman go at night when he can't see shit? Mm. And he's not supervised. It's fucking stupid. No, it's it's it is stupid. And and you're right, Devlin. Those those kind of key kind of foundational plate setting bits. It's really, really messy in the first. And I wondered, Matt, mm. even, even as a child, you might have recognized that you're like, I am not getting the information that I need in order to proceed with this story. And rewatching it, I, yeah. I had a similar thing, but because I know where we're going, I was like, right, I, well, one, I'm, we've got to review this film. So I was like, I must persist. But, but Dennis Quaid, if Dennis Quaid <laughs> isn't Dennis Quaid as a, as a performer, on screen, his performance and his characterization and the screen time he's given would not tell me as an audience member that's the star of my movie. Yeah. Because yeah. it's not. Right. Hey, is this whale house broken yet? Nope. Well, then he can't come to dinner. What, are you taking me to dinner? Yeah. Because if you get my brother. When's Sean coming? He's on a park shuttle. We're going to meet him at the main gate. Hey, Kathy. Cindy and Sandy don't want to go. What am I going to lose? Is there a couple of neurotic fish? Mammals. Well, listen, it's their playtime. If they don't want it, they'll be begging us tomorrow. Put them up. You got it. You know, I'm begging you tonight, huh? You don't have to beg. So take me to dinner. All right. Let's go have sushi. I'll change. You, you know when he says that he doesn't know the difference between a mammal and a fish? Like, I, I was surprised there because I didn't know what his job was. I thought, why doesn't he know? But if he is just a maintenance man, I assumed that was I assumed that was like a little bit of banter that him and Kay have. That this was something. No, it's not banter. He he is genuinely asking. Oh, she's okay. genuinely think, correcting him. I thought that that was where they were. I thought he had like a little half smile, like that. You know, he's sort of teasing her about it. And but okay, we'll throw him that one. It's questionable because you know. But yeah, so I mean, I I if this were. 1983 and i'm coming in to see a jaws movie and like people still pretty were pretty keen on jaws too it it was not like it was not seen as a travesty when it came out so 
and it probably still like Jaws itself still had residual power. I'm thinking, so I've been shown a birthday cake model. I don't understand who anyone is. Everyone's excited about something called Philip Fitzroy. So I've just seen the (laughs) ugliest fucking 3D effect of a of a fish head. That's my introduction. Did you have a lot of uh, feathering around the the outside of the screen? I wondered if this had much to do with the 3D effect. But my there's some shots that are like mid close ups, which are quite crisp and nicely in focus. But the mid wides and wides definitely have that blurring around the edges. And, uh, that's, that's, you know, that's digital copies we're watching and it still hasn't translated that well. Um, I looked up why that was the case and why it looked so bad. And, um, uh, there was a website that I found. I'll link it in the show notes, um, uh, so that I can give them due credit for finding this out. Um, the, uh, this 3D was shot on something called single strip over under. So oftentimes when you shoot 3D, you're shooting on two different cameras, which means you have two film strips running simultaneously. And then the lens is uh, uh, polarizing each. And then when you put your glasses on, the polarization of the glasses matches the polarization of the lens on the projectors. And that's what makes you see one eye and then the other. That's two. That, so that's two 35 millimeter film strips running as normal through side by side cameras. Single strip over under basically uses a series of mirrors to uh, print the left and right channels onto one single strip of 35. But what Ah, that does is it splits it in half. So 35 millimeters, which is what you usually get as a negative, is halved immediately. And then when you uh, show it in 2D or when you scan it for uh, home video television and and any kind of streaming media, they use the same same, uh, uh, basic version. So what you have to do is you have to do an optical. So it's it's akin to basically shooting on 16 mil instead of 35 mil, but even worse because at least on 16 millimeter, it was designed to be that shape. This is awkwardly punching in. So that feathering could either be because the, it's so difficult to calibrate both lenses. Uh, there's polarization on the, on the film stock because of the way they shoot it on the camera. And also they're having to do an optical on every single shot. So they only use the left channel. And I remember, Matt, you mentioned that everything felt like it was cheated to the left. Well, everything was off kilter on my copy uh, and until I got into the opening credits at Galley's favourite underwater POV sequence where they seemed central again. And then throughout the rest of the film, the only thing that kept me certain that I was watching a, a, a copy as intended was this feathering that surrounded the, the frame because I could see the edges, the borders of what I was watching. So I, it, it, but it seems so off kilter and the, the composition. So that's going to be because we're only watching the left channel. We're watching the left oh, eye. Right, right. So anything that does have a three dimensionality to it is going to be off axis to the left. And the comparable shot would be off axis to the right. The 3D is just, mm. it's, it's, it's right here. It's <laughs> specifically a gimmick. It's not an immersive tool. It's a gimmick to, and I'm, I'm waiting, I'm going to, nod to matt now to give us a list of some wonderful 3d moments in the film well i've got a list but devlin i think what happened who was the fellow the 3d expert that Uh, you mentioned murray lerner murray lerner the 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 isle of white guy so he he was originally going to do it and the 3d is just a hangover from his involvement so what you've got is a bunch of people who don't know anything about 3d trying to 
deliver something that an expert was going to do until he saw the script and said, no, thank you. That's is basically that the, it. That's where, that's what I mean. That that we're haunted by the ghosts of the dead projects we met along the way. And then you, like you say, <laughs> you end up with an inexperienced production designer who's maybe done some second unit trying to marshal an extremely technically difficult shoot with a script that's a piece of shit and trying to use a technology that as we've seen from other 3d movies of the early 80s was really rudimentary like really really basic and if you if you're in a cinema and you're as high as the people who made this and there's a lingering shot of like a fat miserable (laughs) fish head that's on for like 30 seconds longer than it should be is that, that cinema? Maybe that's know, funny, or, or maybe that's entertaining. <laughs> cinema. My favourite one, the one that really made me laugh, is when the bloke needlessly pushes the girl's face <laughs> into the glass, and the the decapitated Matt, man. Like we appears. were talking about execution. Like that is not the profile <laughs> shot that you want your gag to land on, is it? The back of someone's head. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's just so terrible. It's so edit. badly. If we're kind, it's a Ben yeah. Gardner reference, isn't it? It's the Ben Gardner head. It happens at roughly the same time in the film, or maybe a bit sooner. It's the hand. No, the, the hand on a bag. It, it's really constructed which by you poorly. can tell that there's no one around them you can tell that there's just a hand uh, pressing into a back on an bad. empty stage yeah <laughs> and she very safely you know from a yeah. choreography point of view puts her face to the glass yeah they should have done it the, the old-fashioned way which is where you uh you shoot somebody's face already there and then them rearing away quickly and then you and then you reverse the footage and that's what makes it look how about the shot of just a red crab mm. because it's red, red crab. that was on for a long the time tinsel. but i that felt like I was watching that and I thought this is a drug film that, that it's been made by people who who took a lot of drugs and and it felt like you know when people say I, I don't know maybe it was a Beatles thing but they said you're supposed to m- make music straight that sounds good when you're high if you go in a studio and get too out of control you end up just making a, a mess. I feel like this is sort of a drug film, but it was made unintentionally, maybe like made by people who were just very, very high. What kind of artistic kind of representation is this film and director supposed to be doing when they go to the tunnel? It goes bonkers 3D, which there's a tongue, there's the dragon, there's a, there's another sticky out thing. There's three in about three minutes. Like it's constant. Are they 3D though, Patrick? Or are they just crash zooms? Like, are, no, they aren't crash zooms because in 3D, the gimmick would be it's coming out towards you. Like the dragon's tongue, the tentacle, and then there's something else. It's. But they're reduced to crash zooms, aren't they? Because once you eliminate the 3D, all they are is just an unusual shot. But they're really yeah. random cutaways. And it's like, what are you trying to tell me in the tunnel? It, it, it's not mm. telling me that. It's, it doesn't it seem literally. indicative that yeah. a shark attack's about to come. It's just weird for the yeah. sake of weird, and it's really off-putting. It- well, I mean, in in uh, the the most infamous in Friday the Thirteenth Part Three D <laughs> is uh, that one guy is uh, playing with a yo-yo, and oh. the camera just cuts to an a shot from underneath him, and the yo-yo is just going <laughs> in and out of the lens wow. for a while, like for quite some time. Mm, mm. And it's like, it's not for anything. It is literally, it is 
it's carny shit. It's side shit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> even the submarine car when they go down in the that mm, is yeah. shot in a way that's I think supposed to be three D. But that's give me Stingray <laughs> and Jerry Anderson. Any I, mean, day I, over I was that. thinking about like Kubrick's two thousand and one and thinking we have come a long way uh, <laughs> when we see that yellow submarine just floating in space. <laughs> and it must be yellow, right? Because yellow, right? Oh, yellow signifies danger, Patrick. Is it a hangover oh. from the original? Oh, I thought we were still on drugs and the Beatles. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, the coral thief spoke. That was yellow. Yeah. And yellow oh, belly Dennis Quaid. That's very generous by part three, I think, yeah. if we read it. The, the compositing of the, um, there's a kind of a wide-ish shot of the little toy, um, submarine in front of <laughs> a mm-hmm. toy marine set. And, uh, the comp, I think, Matt, we may have, uh, touched on this that the compositing was this is one of the first times that they were using video rather than film for the opticals okay uh may, maybe i heard this from from somewhere that um if you watch very carefully underneath the yellow submarine it disappears like when a weatherman wears the wrong color tie uh, and like a chroma key really, yeah. <laughs> really? So yeah the the part of the submarine disappears and it's obviously because it's a reflective surface and it turns at the wrong angle <sighs> so the base mm. of the submarine disappears for part of the shot and i wow. think it's because that's why this op- this like opticals you know that when you think like in 77 how good this shit looked in in star wars even and now we're six years later and like it is genuinely it's like putting a sticker on top of a photograph like it's the the layering and compositing is 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 terrible, and I believe it's because they went ahead and did it um, uh, uh, video native, which also helps to really muck up the fucking picture quality again. I tell you what, guys, the three D is bad, right? Uh, yeah. The three D is bad. Um, however, let's let's look at the film and remove the technical aspects. I mean, it's quite a big part of a Jaws film, isn't it? Sort of technical. You want craftsmanship, yeah. really. You are re- you are reminded frequently, though, that this is an ugly fucking film. Well, like, I was going to yeah. say, like, let's just talk about Billy basic stuff. Like, okay, well, what's the screenplay like? And have we got any we got any performances that we can gravitate towards? I mean, Cindy and Sandy are great. Um, but, but you know, are, have we got the basic filmmaking fundamentals in, in this outside of the 3D? So what do we think then? Fundamentals. I'm going to start with Dennis Quaid and vehicles because it is a running gag <laughs> that goes through the whole film. We've already alluded to uh, some cocaine that may or may not have been um, part of the performance. So what are we thinking? Can I just outline what Gally said about the the vehicle there, which is one of my favorite moments? That he there's an unintentionally hilarious moment where he he jacks a popcorn buggy and <laughs> yes. speeds off, spilling all the popcorn, and the kids are running after it to steal it. And then he swerves to avoid some more kids and crashes into some shrubbery. It's like speed, isn't it? It's fucking great. Yeah. That so was, that's in my favourite scenes. And then he's on the boot and he's approaching a, a woman and her child on the beach as well. It, yeah. It's essentially planes, trains and automobiles for Dennis Quaid in this film, isn't it? Because he starts off on the little it's fucking fast and jet furious thing. For Dennis Quaid. Yeah. But even when he gets up, when, even when he dismounts in the first opening reel on the Dismount. little jet ski, he, he, he almost fucks it because you can see him like swerve. <laughs> Oh, he smacks that jet ski into the little dark, yeah. Steps oh. off and then he's already mid-sentence and it's, it's yeah, so it's funny. banging into the dock behind him and the when he crashes that speedboat into the <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's a good running gag, and that's why I get. That's why I keep thinking to myself, like the the offshoots or the the remnants oh, of the spoof. Maybe that is was it, the spoof that a guy crushes everything he tries to. It's just, <laughs> or is that like Quaid because he's literally coked up and he can't hit his mark? It's the nose candy. It's so yeah, funny. I actually worked with Quaid in 2016, and um, just all this riding things has, has reminded me. Um, he, I got I got into a bit of trouble. Um, we we're on this mountain in Iceland, and he I had to take him for skidoo, 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 yeah, uh, like lessons and stuff. And he was really good, like at it, and he he knew I, he was very competent in driving it, so he passed it very quickly. But he wanted to dick around, and I managed to get a, uh, to ride one as well, which is really cool. But then getting in touch with my, oh no, we were doing a photo shoot at the same time. I've just remembered that. Yeah. And then to send him back, cause you're on a mountain, the, the transport was quite rough. Like we had a car and he said to me, are you going in? And it was quite full. I was like, no, it's okay. I'll, I'll go with this skidoo and like whatever. Um, so I rang my boss and like, it's on his way back. He's got a, he's got another appointment or something. <laughs> he didn't go back. And like my boss is ringing me, Tom was ringing me like, where is he? I was like, well, he left like an hour ago. It was a 45 minute journey. I don't know. He left with makeup and costume and, um, couldn't get hold of them. Their phones weren't working. They're in the middle of nowhere, obviously. So <laughs> hours later, Quaid comes back and he, he, um, pulled over the car randomly when he saw like a, like a uh, a horse farm in Iceland, and he got out and he managed to talk to the locals and started riding their horses. <laughs> <laughs> He's a spur of the moment kind of guy. So you know, he obviously likes riding everything and all that's available to him. Gally, can I? You mentioned before about the idea of there not being a clear protagonist in this one, and was that was that a big issue for? For people you know me i'm normally kind of stru- structurally um i'm a little bit kind of ocd and i need i need i need <laughs> someone to to take me through now actually this is where when we go all the way full circle i think the premise and the whole disaster movie ideal um and i don't mind that because normally ensembles right and you can follow mm-hmm. each story and 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 they either intercept or maybe they don't but one thing over ha- mm. happening over there um, directly affects something over there, even if they don't necessarily um, speak to each other. But because this film is such a... I'll be honest with you, the first hour is a tough gig, listeners, if you've never seen Jaws 3D, because <laughs> you you are kind of like, what are we doing? And there doesn't seem to be a sense of escalation either. Hence the, yeah. the coral thieves just get killed. But It's quite laboured, isn't it? You just watch a dinghy yeah. uh, lose some air, essentially, yeah. a, bit of, a bit of red. Um, so it's not quite satisfying. It's not... Uh, it's not doing it for you. And if you, mm. you're not invested in the brothers because the film isn't invested in the brothers, the only person that I was gravitating towards was Catherine. Cause I felt like she was the one that was like, okay, you are the sensible one in the room. And I liked Calvin cause I was like, well, you seem interesting. Cause like mm. you're, you know, he's, he's built up as not being your atypical sea world owner. So I was like, there's gotta be something here, right? Mm. Not really, no. Apart from no. the fact that he talks in a, a kind of Bayou accent and generally um, it just seems <laughs> the to phrase, be... He's <laughs> over here talking about some shark's mama. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's talking like jive. He is. <laughs> he does go it's, a bit jive. It's the early 80s and I feel like, uh, yeah, a bunch of white writers, but some really questionable dialogue mm. but louis gossett the... is uh is an, is an oscar winner at this point yeah. right isn't he has he already won his oscar at this point when when was officer and a gentleman 
Yeah, yeah it was before yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was it was close to it, wasn't it? it and he's a great, you know, he's great in that. Um, it's just this feels just feels off. And and also he doesn't have anybody to play against because Quaid's fucking off constantly on vehicles. Yeah. Catherine's always in the pool. He dotes but... over Fitzroy, so there's nothing there really. Mm. For me, the Fitzroy I think is supposed to be our kind of smarmy. We want to see him get killed. Yeah, but he's not quite bad enough because he no. he's almost an ally to Catherine after um, a little mm-hmm. bit of back and forth, right? You know, he's British and we are all wankers, so it makes sense that we should be the villains. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got like a dodgy kind of yeah he's got a dodgy assistant and he, he's carrying hand grenades like i just nobody's actions really have the level of consequence that they should it's like they couldn't commit to anyone doing anything too bad his hubristic act was wanting to take two cameras down when he were gonna trap the shark rather than one camera he wanted to kill the shark as well for uh, you know um his own agenda of notoriety. Right. He thinks he's going to get a bunch of publicity for murdering a shark <laughs> at SeaWorld, and she <laughs> thinks that they're going to be doing nightly bulletins on the update of the no, well, that, that is Anchorman shit, was it? I was yeah. laughing my head off with it, like, imagine it. The panda. <laughs> his name is <laughs> <nutty. laughs> It was so funny. Okay. Say he kills it. Well, that's it. It's one shot over, gone. But alive, great white. Now you think about that, Calvin. Nightly bulletins on the progress of the killer shark. Pictures of us of us nursing it back to health and lowering it into a holding tank. Now that's world news. You think of the lines at the gate. Then you missed the sport of the kill. Now wait up, Jack. Wait up. The kill is guaranteed press. But this other is much, much more interesting. There's a scene when towards getting towards the third act where Fitzroyce and Dennis Quaid just turn up like in a half zipped hoodie and both kind of topless. Yeah. What's that about? <laughs> <laughs> Dennis Quaid, the way he steps into that scene is so funny because he's not on screen. And they're also, yeah. again, because oh. of 3D, they're laid out diagonally on the dock like it's a weird music I, video. I've noted the sound of it. It's like it's a. It, it's uh, the cardinal sin of blocking. It's like yeah. you, you're supposed to know who is in the scene <laughs> and who is privy to the information that's being relayed within the scene. And then Dennis Quaid just steps into frame <laughs> yeah. from yeah. from the right. And I didn't even know he was there. <laughs> and then he just steps in. You think about like Pete Pottlewaite's character in The Lost World. Not a great movie, yeah. but that is something that they potentially could have done because he's not, we like him, even though he's, He's on the wrong side of the argument. We understand him immediately. We know he's a poacher. We know his history. And we don't know anything about this idiot. It wasn't even as good as Julian Sands in uh, Arachnophobia. It wasn't even as good as that. What is he? Is he a documentarian? And he's taking pictures. It's not very clear why he's been hired either. You know, it's just like, we've hired Fitzroyce. Ah, oh, rejoice. But why? So why? Why is that important? Tell us why is he a National Geographic? What what is he? Yeah, why is he going to mm. be working at a, a theme park? He's not going to be able to catch anything. Is he a hunter? You know, is he a trophy hunter? We we not fully sure. 
Yeah, no, and, right. and we don't get enough um, we don't get enough information about it. But what we do see is that the the most important person, as far as SeaWorld is concerned, is like besotted by them. It's like they go for yeah. dinner, they go for drinks. Even the fucking yeah. lackey. I mean, Hatchet Harry. You know, I would have liked to have seen him fight that shark with a black, a twelve-inch black rubber cock. He doesn't, but he is definitely <laughs> the Alan Rookie is for sure, isn't he? Oh yeah. I mean, I can't believe Matt. It took you more than a minute. As soon as I saw that it dazzle took, in it his took eye, minutes, so I was like, "Who the fuck is he?" And I was like, and then I, I got mixed up with Sting for some reason. I got Sting in my head and it was because Sting is in Lockstock behind the bar. And then I got very mixed up, but eventually I managed to Google it and figure out who he was. But the, we get back to the script and the directing and everything because he's in one of the most it, it, hilariously random things in the film where he's trying to clear the beach and there's a guy drinking a beer <laughs> and he knocks the beer out of his hand and the guy lazily tries to punch Hatchet Harry and Harry knocks him out. And it is just bonkers. Like it's, insane mm. it doesn't work at all and if it's supposed to be confusion and panic of trying to do a, it it really misses the mark but it it's hilarious him and then drags him out of the sea which like i yeah but it's like what an odd technique but it's also it's the coverage i think that makes it so odd because we we basically have one long shot so it's when long mid isn't it we don't actually see the rest of the beach we see british guy go everyone everyone please leave Please get out of the water. Or, you know, yeah. um, and again, you know, you would have to compare it to Spielberg, but when he does the panic sequences in the water, you get in yeah. down and dirty. So you feel it and you get a sense of like the rush mm. because he's yep. t- everything with Joe Alves is basically coverage, right? It feels like, well, we'll do the master and we never cut from the master. <laughs> We're yeah. just going to keep it like, just make sure everything's on screen was probably his one thing. Like if I know anything about directing, it's <laughs> capture it on film. <laughs> like, uh, um, don't worry about Dennis Quaid in yeah. the scene. Don't worry about using like editing later. techniques or yeah. just visual grammar. Just mm. capture it on the, on the, the on <laughs> um, it links back in Dev a little, because in, if you think in the first two films, how often is chief Brody yelling at people to get out of the water, get out of the water. So to have his son do that, maybe there's some kind of thought behind it. I think it doesn't help that Quaid, I'll just call, you just call him Quaid, we're not calling him by his character name, are we? Um, that Quaid popcorn heist and then is just full sprinting for ages. And, and Matt said it earlier, we're not really sure of the geography or anything of where the fuck is he and where's he going to? It also it's, speaks to the, the appendix that is his brother. What is the point in Sean? Could we have taken Sean out during one of these sequences? Like, you know, yeah, get in totally. a, a skinny dip with Leah Thompson and, and take him out, you know, yeah. up the stakes a bit. He's in, Ooh, he's in the, the oh, yeah. he's in the sequence in the bar, which is bizarre. Oh God, the, the, don't get me started on that game of, what is it, standoff? That is fucking horrible oh, and the most this, awkward of all the yeah. scenes. It's... I pulled the old crotch trick. Like, what's wrong with having them, like, flirt over pool? Like, a yeah. game of pool. Or at the bar, a, over a drink, a spill a drink or something. Like yeah. that bit in The Great Outdoors where he accidentally pokes a bum with a pool cue. <laughs> yeah. Remember that bit? Yeah. Just do one of them. Uh, in that yeah. bar sequence, Patrick, just because, um, obviously I know what you do for a living, you love, uh, you love doing these kind of background uh, stuff, but one of the, <laughs> one of the actions... And, and this is when, like, because the movie wasn't really holding my attention. Uh, 
he says like i'll get some they're sat down at a very busy bar it's very busy and he just says i'll get i'll get some beers he just looks to the left and oh just goes and just puts his fingers up he goes two beers please <laughs> two beers please like, who's that to, to no one no there's, there's no waitress there's no waiter there's it's no... so funny i laughed again oh. i mean these are the joys. I think uh, Devil has said that like you can revel in in kind of bad movies, and this has got lots of those moments. Especially if you're a, a bit of a nerd like we are, and we we quite like we pick up on these little things. My favorite edit in the whole film is um oh I I rewound this a couple of times because a bit of whiplash, but, but Bouchard is walking down with some advisor or park random guy, and he says, "Put the shark in the pool for the people to see." And it's a tracking shot. It's a two, two-hander coming down. <laughs> Bouchard exits frame, frame right. And we stand the guy and then we turn around and Bouchard's in a boat. He <laughs> 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 fucking cracks me up because he's just, oh, he's in a boat now. And it's a wide shot and he's just stood in the middle of his boat. He looks tiny. And it's the, it's my favorite edit of the whole thing. It's so funny. Do you know the bit that I, in terms of extras, apart from the Dennis Quaid yelling, bit there's a bit with a load of extras where the room is flooding yeah and if you watch <laughs> like there's like an old man and an old lady mm-hmm. and they're sort of hugging each other he's he's pretending to have a heart attack for the entire <laughs> sequence but it's, but he never gets a close-up so it's like it was obviously dropped as a but also it cuts away and cuts back to him and he's smiling again and it's, it's, it's the clear favorite for the supporting artist in in this film for me and i've got my little feature here on unsupporting artists that you know take you out of the film and make you laugh and the old couple are brilliant and they're doing fine work there's um <laughs> we cut from um bouchard in the control room saying uh, I think there's a voice, uh, a tannoy. It's like, go to your nearest accessible exit. And we cut to an extra, this guy, random, normal American guy. Where the hell is the nearest accessible exit? We're underwater. And it just cuts away from him. <laughs> That's an amazing moment. But then we go back. And just when the shark's attacking, there's a little girl like, oh my God, oh my God, shark, oh my God. Oh my God. This random guy, so slow to the upkeep of what's going on, turns and goes, holy shit. <laughs> and we cut from it. <laughs> it's uh, so good. Good cuts to the scene. <laughs> I say, and then the doors close and lock mm. them in and someone shouts, I need my wallet. Yeah, and tries to run <laughs> back. He tries to run back into the flooding tunnel. Because How did that make the edit? It, doesn't it's so it's funny going back to the fundamentals at the script stage you put your characters that you've been following in these scenarios right so someone sean and leah thompson or someone who we've been following for the first hour should be down in the in the jeopardy because they're not we are laughing very hard because we don't uh, have his brother should be there yeah, yeah. Of, like, why does he need to be? Why do we need the bumper boat thing about the shark? Oh my god, it's tailor made for him. He's, he's in the water, out. but he's not in the water because yeah. he's in a tunnel. It makes so yeah. much sense. And Matt, you sent me the documentary, and they they build yours three mm. as a major motion picture, and you and we're what yeah. I'm watching it, and I'm going, wow. This is Corman level stuff. They hook it into the original a lot. They show a lot of clips from the first film and they try and say, you know, they advertise it as a worthy successor to came before. What, what we're talking here? What's the bunts? Uh, so 18 million budget. I mean, this is the crazy bit. It's, it's staying here that it made 88 million. Whoa. So it worked, 
which I guess oh, is why God. we 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 have another one to do in the series. But I, I think people were hoodwinked, right? This we said carnies, small hands smell like cabbage. <laughs> I think that's exactly what we've got here, isn't it? We've got we've got they've been hoodwinked, snake oil salesmen. Mm. They've been done. It was probably a bit expensive, but clearly not expensive enough because they could not pull off any of the things that they wanted to pull off. But like the the execution of it is so small, right? Like it's I I love it. Like I fucking love it. It's why the well, you're on about you know, baby baby shark death in the baby in shark the, in the pool is, is uh, uh, but also with you, Gally. I thought that was kind it's of one of the funniest deaths in, in, I've ever seen. Just the way it turns over and just gives up. <laughs> that is quite, it, it's, it's actually quite a harrowing image of an animal. Oh, yeah. no, but it doesn't up the, it doesn't like make you fear sharks. It looks silly. And, um, do you notice that the, uh, the shark, uh, display, which, um, apparently was only about two feet deep, like why they thought a shark was going to be okay in two feet of water. I know it kind of, in a way it actually makes sense in the plot, but it still looks hilarious that when they're running over to yeah. the shark tank, there is a piece of like A3 paper with like just the word sharks on display, like in, in spray paint. Is that a mark back to the beach is closed? Yeah. Well, maybe much, uh... you're again, you're being generous. I, <laughs> I am. Yeah. But... <laughs> you're very kind, Patrick. I, I will I will say this, Matt, you don't remember the death, but I have to say the crunching sound effects when uh good old uh British boy is getting crunched in the in the gusset of the uh the shark. That him getting torn in hole, I had to figure out what the fuck was going on. <laughs> I love the the ADR like, Oh no and he's just getting like crunched, crunched. I was yeah. I was almost giving it credit because I've never seen it done before and then <laughs> yeah. the, the idea of being a POV from inside a shark. And then when I saw it I thought I know why no one's done it because it looks really stupid. <laughs> but the hand hanging out with a grenade is is yeah. genius. Yes. I wonder if they've got Hooker Duck at SeaWorld and Quaid have been practicing. <laughs> He's a pro. <laughs> that would have been an amazing set. That would have been a good set, wouldn't it? There it is. Sean and uh, he beats his brother at Hooker Duck at the beginning of the movie. That's what they're doing. That's where they. That's where they meet Leah Thompson too. You have two little bits of business to meet you in one in Perfect. one shot. Hook. Hooks the grenade. We're wasted on here, aren't we? We really are. That is the way you pull that full circle. Oh, that's amazing. I want to watch that film now. If you watch um uh, The Towering Inferno, which I always think of as like, that's my urtext disaster movie. A lot of people die. A lot of people die. in uh, uh, And uh, what The Towering Inferno does quite well is you have your two split protagonists. You have your Paul Newman and you have your... Um, uh, uh, Thanks. Um, and they're, they're kind of separated because they both have tasks to do whereby one is uh, internal in the building. He's like the building's guy he made it or whatever. And then you've got a firefighter who's trying to help out. They cross paths at times, then they split off. If you've got Mike and Sean, Mike can be outside because he's an engineer. Sean doesn't really have a purpose. So shove him in the tunnel. You can have a little. You've got to save radio. him. Yeah, there's your there's your emotional you through make line. Make him like a an American football hero at his school and physically capable and save people and. And yeah. you have to have yeah. like you have to have little tests along the way as well, like oh, the, a, a a thing a seal fails and you have to 
and you have to be taught. I thought you meant like a, a living things. seal, not a, oh, that's a seal. Also a seal. seal. <laughs> yeah, when <laughs> trained seals <laughs> to rectify <laughs> the situation. Nineties uh, R and B sensation seal. Oh, <laughs> by Rose, yeah. You have these little. You have to have little adventures in these films. So, like a uh, 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 Jurassic Park being a good example of Laura Dern has to make it across the park to turn on a switch. She has to go and flip a switch. It's a thing. It's a task. It's a big fuck off switch. We understand it. I do not know what anyone wanted to do. By the time this film got to people actually actively doing things, I don't know what Fitzroyce was doing. I don't understand what a filtration pipe is. I don't know how it's going to get in there. Why that's a good thing. I know there's a gate. I know there's a gate involved, but it's like, but it, it, where is the fucking, I don't, I, I genuinely, uh, and how does the shark get in front of the restaurant? Is the restaurant <laughs> facing into just the open sea or is it not? Cause there are already sharks. Yeah, but the there, birthday cake guys. shows you it's. Yeah. <laughs> I've, for, I've forgotten the birthday cake yeah. by this point. So I only yeah. saw it once. So I, uh, at this, like the, the, the geography and the fact that it never came back to anything. And it abandoned the undersea tunnels for so long that by the time we popped back in there and realized that's where we're going to finish the film, sort of, I was like, well, I didn't really spend any time here, so I don't know it. I spent you know what? There's a reason for that, though, because the underwater stuff doesn't look good. And I think that was a technical problem for them. They must have known. So they stay above water for as long as they can with the water skiers, with the people falling into the mud and the crowds and everything. But but if, but if it doesn't look good, Patrick, then, you know, the one base thing that you can deliver an audience, especially at this, in this era when it is, has been really popularized, is just give us a body count. Just fucking yeah. make it carnage. Sure. You know, yeah. like, like you're already, like you say, by the end of this movie, you have, you have cheapened your IP anyway. So you may as well, it's not a spoof, but you then may as well lean into the horror. Did elements. any of those water skiers die i don't think so right no kelly got a leg um bitten she got it was slashed. last action hero though with kelly it was, was you know the... it's a flesh wound but that yeah, sequence yeah, was for was, naught wasn't yeah, it was no, um... but like we have the big like the pyramid displays i want to see the shark fuck mm. up all of them i want to see every single one of those pyramid displays <laughs> well you could have you could have like had yeah. a, a growing sense here that the the juvenile shark had little wounds people got wounded and hurt and maybe an arm went but then you know you're in the shit when the mother comes and just fucking destroys them but talking of things that look bad that the money shot is the shark <laughs> in 3d coming towards the window yeah what does it hold yeah. up today gentlemen and their reaction shots that that's the cheapest part their reaction frame slow -mo. oh the slow the step frame slow mo yeah. it, is unfathomable. Barely even that. It's more of a free, it's almost yeah. a freeze frame, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's about almost three frames per second. <laughs> it stops moving, then a bunch of really bad, like glass, clearly thin, single pane glass kind of shatters towards us. But then the room floods with water. So the glass is breaking like dry, clearly. Oh my God, when yes. When I guys, when I sent you guys the, 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 the gift of that. <laughs> And I was yeah. looking at it, and the more I watched <laughs> it loop, and I just, I, the, the phrase unacceptable came to mind. Like, unacceptable. Yeah. If Spielberg had a problem with the spoof, it, did Spielberg get to see this before it went out and go, okay? Well, it's surely not. Really have like, um, he doesn't really have power of veto. It was more the case of, I think, when they were in 
pre-production. It's pre-prep, right, yeah, script yeah, and yeah, development. Yeah. Right, Matt, gone on a jet ski, managed to dismount that, just about. Uh, then I've stolen a popcorn <laughs> vendor. Uh, the, the fucking feral kids have just taken all of that, and I had to get away. Um, unfortunately, there were some plastic whales in the way, so I had to kind of crash into those. Then I got a big speedboat, and I uh, landed ashore, and there was a yellow submarine, and I thought, ah, Critics Corner seems to be deep in the filtration unit. So <laughs> I've managed to get there, and luckily Cindy and Sandy have taken me all the way to Critics Corner. So can you please tell me what the critics thought of this one? I picked out a few uh, pithy ones. Uh, somebody called Mr. Dulac said, part shark movie, part disaster movie, all crap. <laughs> <laughs> I like Dulac. That's good. Yeah. He's straight to the point. Uh, Matt Singer on Letterboxd said, I was rooting for the shark all the way in this one. Fuck these dumb humans. <laughs> Uh, and he gave it one and a half stars. Oh, yeah. I saw that one in the Times, actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and this fella, Matt, has an image of Siskel and Ebert as his profile picture. So let's go there next. Mm. Uh, Ebert said, this one eats up audiences and spits them out. The second film made the shark boring. Uh, he, he By this point, he said he found the water skiers slow to catch on as the shark was chasing them. There were some of his uh, criticisms. He said that the, it was an artificial shark fin, and boy, did it look like it was. Mm. I love how he's going on the fin and not mm. the shark. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> attempted rebirth of the 3D theatre was kind of what was going on. They, they harked back to the 50s, the pair of them, because they've seen all... It's all cyclical, isn't it? We've seen it since Jaws 3 happen again. Um he said uh, that 3D disappeared for 20 years before resurfacing. Um, and here that his quote was murky, unfocused, boring, technically hapless uh, movie wow. that had the audience desperately struggling to see what was on the screen uh, that he paid $5 to see. Uh, and he couldn't work out what they were trying to show him. And he said the only consolation was uh, you couldn't see anything because you weren't missing anything anyway. And then uh, Siskel uh, felt like 3D made him feel like a kid again, which is a feeling I've, I've had, you know, through Spy Kids 3 and Avatar and all that. It's a it's a similar thing. But he said, boy, this one let me down. The big moment when the shark crashes through the Seaquarium, uh, the 3D never came off the screen. They just cut to another scene. And it was too bad. Pop quiz, hot shot. Alrighty, pop quiz. Let's remind you of the scores. Um, Matt's on six ahead of Devlin on five and Galley on two. We have guest spots M and Aiden. And they've got one point each as well. Well done them for winning their only mm. quiz. Uh, much better than Galley. Anyway, on to your buzzers, please, gentlemen. Devlin, what's your buzzer? I see my brother nailed you. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Matt, your buzzer, please. Are you talking about the damn shark's mother? Very good. And Galley, buzzer, please. Oh, I'm going to call the hatchet when you answer now. Very good. All right. Uh, buzzers at the ready. Question one. Question one is, what pool number did Bouchard order the shark be displayed? Galley was first there. Galley. Uh, Harry Hatchet, excuse me. <laughs> Number six. Pool number six <laughs> is correct, complete with accent. Very good. Well done, Gally. He's off to a flyer. Right, question two. 
Buzz at the ready. Question two. What's the name of the synchronized water skiers dressed um, with all their coordination and brilliance? I see my brother nailed you. Devlin. Now, there were definitely some members of the of the ski team who were called the Silver Bullets. That is correct. Hey. Well done, Dev. The Silver Bullets is correct. Galley and Devlin want a piece. Matt, this is a draw. Galley and Dev, you can take the win if you answer the third question. Question three. What's the name of the new underwater restaurant? I see my brother nailed you. The Neptune Room. Is correct. Well done. <laughs> wow. You looked really unsure about that. Did you know I that was, was really a guess? Unsure. No, I, I, it was, it was rattling around in there. Oh, what, a, what a win, Devlin! You're bees and honey, mate. Bees and honey. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, Devlin! You now go uh, tied with Matt at six points each. Well played, sir. Well played. You'll be out there, brown bread with Harry on the boat. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for any of our Cockney listeners. We're, 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 jo- we're jesting. <laughs> <you know? laughs> um, so that leads me to ask the uh, the important questions. I'll, I'll start with uh, Patrick. You first time uh, first time uh, viewer. Would you recommend Jaws 3D? Uh, and do you have any final thoughts on it? How does one recommend such a film? Um, I I kind of have to because I had I've had a fun time laughing at it and at its expense not quite in the same vein that i really love taken um but the like bouchard on the boat cracks me up the shark um in the in the finale that's attacking the control room breaks through the glass has to be seen you have to see it and it's even more bonkers when you've seen a whole film that has nothing quite so bad in it and then its final like act has that there's this insane visual um it's <laughs> it's it's pretty bad <laughs> it's it's not very well written or shot it's, it's some of the the framing and editing and, and composition is it's like you sigh because it, it is bad <laughs> um and it wasn't a very engaging film overall to be honest there's it, the first time I watched it, I, I got quite bored, especially like in the middle. I think Gani mentioned the first hour and I, I agree with that. And then you start to have, I don't know, a little bit of fun watching it because it's just bonkers. And there's something to be, some fun to be had in bonkers. It is a film I'd like to watch with you guys, you know, have a few drinks and just maybe a bingo board of, of the, the, the moments that make us laugh the most in it. Uh, what else can I say about it? Um, yeah. Would you recommend it? To who and when would they watch it? I try to recommend it from the, you know, the, if you want to have a laugh, uh, it's not an overly long film, which always helps for something like this. It's a, what is an hour and 38 or something. Uh, and if you, if you're a fan of Jaws and you, you recognize that it's a masterpiece and everything, then, Come and have a look at what you could have had and just marvel in a pretender's go at it that's completely fallen apart and given up because the Spielberg thing we mentioned, it it, it obviously cements that that is a masterpiece and can't be imitated quite successfully. But this is some bizarre 80s um, attempt at filmmaking and a shark film. And so I recommend it from 
a comparative point of view because there are things to to have a laugh at and and to 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 be said there is is that how you'd recommend it matt 32 minutes in i realized i was very bored and i I stopped at about 40 and then i watched the rest the next night which is i never usually do and it's a really bad sign because usually i you know i set aside some time to watch something particularly for for the rewind stuff um i've got almost no caveats or or positives it was very weak all 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 round i thought one leah thompson was very watchable because she's just you know quite foxy uh two you can play the how stoned is dennis quaid in this scene game which kept me going <laughs> through it there's there's a bit where they're all drinking coffee in the kitchen and he's holding a dog's ears yes, yes. and oh my god yes i don't know if you remember that That's remember that bit. funny yes <laughs> So yeah. stupid. It's like he that's why I didn't think it was cocaine. That's why I thought it was weed, because it's like it's just a very stonery thing to do to examine a dog's ears. <laughs> uh so I but it apparently it's cocaine. Um or a combination, perhaps. Um I I I rewound that bit with the extras. I enjoyed that. Um I did rewind the bit where he where he crashes the golf buggy or whatever was going on there with the popcorn. Um on a on a more serious because uh, we have I mean it's a silly film but on a more serious note I think it's Gally I guess you were you had a hankering to do the Jaws series because we can unpick some of the pitfalls of sequelizations and sort of dissect it a bit and to see where certain things went wrong and it was a really interesting pick for those reasons so I do think it was worth watching and and discussing but I just wrote. I, I, and thought that there's a disconnect all the way through. It was just, as a kid, the disconnect was that there was no Chief Brody, so I had no in mm. to this one. But upon a closer examination, this disconnect had seeped into every aspect of the film. There was no connecting tissue between its own scenes, between the, the whole of the film, between it and what came before in Jaws and Jaws 2 and what followed in Jaws the Revenge, there's no connection to to anything. You've got different actors again, Patrick, in four. I don't know if you've seen four. No, not yet. But they they re- change the actors again, so you've got no no through line, apart from Ellen, who's, you know, you're really clutching at straws, aren't you, when you <laughs> the, the chief's wife is the only connecting tissue. I, I feel quite proud that I was such a discerning youngster as well, because I... I had no intention of ever watching this again, and you have made me do it. But uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter because I, I didn't. I didn't have a fondness for it. It's not like it's been destroyed in my eyes because I didn't really think too much of it in the first place. Um, it floundered. It failed at every turn. If you want to see a big grey thing sluggishly edging towards people <laughs> and occasionally getting rammed stiff. into people, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think, you know, that they could have laid off the reefers when they were making it. I think we we probably would have enjoyed it a bit more. It's it's the cinematic equivalent of getting poked in the eye. So um, I I would avoid this one. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I have to be quite harsh with it because I've had fun discussing it with you, but I really have to. There has to be some kind of a cut off. You wouldn't want to watch it with us with a few beers. I I would watch it with you absolutely, but I'd I'd be more more likely to watch it watch the clip the clips of the things that we've sure. talked about again yeah, and yeah. just sort of look at the silly moments but yeah i'd totally watch it with you a lot again but i, I recommending it I, I can't do it i can't do it uh so i'll, I'll pass over who's next 
Gally, do you want it? Yeah, I'll take it. Um, uh, 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 listen, it's always important to have a grown up in the room. Objectively, this is a terrible film. It's terrible. It, the, and I, and I tried to do my best to say like, fundamentally, it's bad as well. Like, this isn't just like, oh, the 3D is terrible. Uh, so therefore it's a terrible movie. Now remove them, remove the 3D and just look at it. Uh, you know, look at the framework and look at what you, you know, look at the way it's constructed sequences, shots, just the bare, bare basics of what we ask when we pay our money or, um, you know, go, go and commit to seeing a film. And it doesn't have that. Where we differ, Matt is, and this is probably, you know, part Beyonce and the vomiting, uh, last <laughs> night. That was, made me You're still euphoric, incredibly you? joyous about life generally mm-hmm. um but but also um i do have and devlin's probably the reason for this i do have like <laughs> a, a kind of lust for bad movies the the issue with this one but it's actually quite common across the piece of these bad movies is that they can sometimes take a, a wee while to get going but once they do you kind of assess it in totality and go, yeah, that was probably worth it. Um, and and because we've we've done it before, we've watched some bad films together, um, and 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 I just kind of go, yeah. Well, I look at Law Mower Man, and I smile because it's dreadful. Um, but there is something fascinating, and I get, and this is why I said we need to retire the term guilty pleasure. I get pleasure out of watching something bad. Especially when it's something that is claiming to be a, a major motion picture. And I think the reason <laughs> being is that now when we get bad films, uh, and there's been lots, I think, in the last couple of years, bad major uh, motion pictures, but they're kind of joyless and they're bad for all the reasons that, um, you know, like the studio meddling, but in the kind of the worst sense and just generally just kind of dull these are joyous or i found this to be joyous because quite frankly people are too professional to deliver shite like this again i don't it, it, i mean i'm being kind of harsh maybe to oh, people tommy wiseau has got a new shark film coming out so hold well, that yeah statement. but yeah tommy wiseau has got a new yeah but it, it's hard when you're pitching for shit isn't it like it, <laughs> you have to we've we said this many times before and you earnestly have to go into something in order to create that light in a bottle that is this is so bad but i can somehow like enjoy it um it, it is difficult you can't manufacture that and everyone's intentions are probably the right ones certainly the the guys and girls on set who are working bloody hard to have made this movie but it's it's all wrong uh and and i quite i think it's worth it but it is not a sit down and let's watch a movie because i'm going to get really entertained i think you have to be in the headspace and i think it's a group watch i don't, I, I wouldn't want to watch this on my own again. well i did laugh out loud several times but mm. i'd rather watch it with you guys and kind of it is a point and laugh at film not laugh with laugh with <laughs> um so yeah i'm gonna this is where i said i'm caveating because i know my credibility is on the floor um i'm gonna recommend it for those people that enjoy that kind of schlockiness um but if you are a purist you need to avoid this Get out of the water and don't go back in. Um, I am with you, Gally, uh, uh, that this falls into the category of the good, bad movie for me. There's the fact that, like you say, it is a a major studio production, a direct sequel to one of the most influential and biggest films of all time. 
and this is what they came up with. <laughs> and just laugh when you think about it, don't you? Just laugh. It's just it it's it's so fundamentally flawed. And then carried off with such a lack of a plum. There's enough silliness in it, and there's enough like just just nonsense, just absolute garbage. There is there is a lull. There is like all of these films, like, you know, when you go watch a film to laugh at, one thing that does happen is that you will sometimes go 30 minutes just being like annoyed. Just annoyed because nobody's doing things that think that people are supposed to do in mm. films in order to get you from here to there, which is why if you watch it with other people, you can chat your way through the, the silliness and then slap somebody on the arm when you know that a stupid thing's gonna happen. Um <laughs> So, um, uh, for that, I, I, I really like it and I, I wouldn't watch it all the time. Like in any of these good, bad movies, you can't watch them all the time because you, the, the joke will wear thin very quickly. But if you want to see one of the most kind of simultaneously hubristic, but also quite pathetically small sequels to, to, that you've ever seen. Also, I just, like I said, I love a shit control room blinking lights i love a little uh uh 1970s tv level <laughs> toy set looks like you and <laughs> ebert was right which is that there are moments in that which are impenetrable like visually impenetrable there are some underwater shots which is there is no light in the scene whatsoever so you will be squinting a little bit at the film but mm. um yeah for a a, a debacle it's a it's a pretty solid debacle. As a real film, it sucks. Don't watch it if you actually want to watch something <laughs> that competently conveys information and emotional resonance mm. uh, because it fails on both counts. Team, um, we've sold it. We've sold this fucking golden goose. Um, where can our listeners see Jaws 3D if they wish? If they're in Korea, you can get it on Naver. You have to buy or rent it. If you're in America... Uh, direct TV, new one, Flix Fling. Oh God. Okay. Uh, Apple, Amazon, Redbox, and, uh, Voodoo. Yeah. If you're in the UK, Amazon Prime, Prime Videos got it. And then Google Play, all the other places you can Sky Store. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm reaching here, but I suppose there isn't a 4K restoration of this bad boy, is there? <laughs> <laughs> Or of the badly opticaled tiny little postage stamp. Uh, you never original. know. They might put it in yeah. the old Jaws bundle. You know, they used to do that shit. I find that the uh, the rights to the Jaws films tend to bounce back and forth between Prime Video and Netflix with great regularity. So usually it's on one or the other. That leads me to say, Devlin, like Bouchard, let's hawk some shit. <laughs> so Devlin, tell our tell our listeners where we can uh, where they can purchase. Which, by the way, two Jet T-shirts sold in a week. It's amazing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, head your uh, tiny little skidoo, uh, smash into the dock at rewindmoviecast.com. It's where you'll find all of our introductory essays, episode notes. Uh, there is a tab, which is shop. That'll take you to our T-mill store. That's devlindoesdrawing.tmill.com. That's also linked in the notes underneath this very episode that you're listening to. You can go there and you can buy shirts totes hoodies stickers all sorts of stuff there is a jaws t-shirt a jaws original t-shirt which is uh, a little naranga set lager shirt uh just a little a little one just a little cheeky design that one 
uh, they're, they're, they're all very unlikely to be one for Jaws 3D. I don't Are you sure? I'm, I was going to say, I mean, the famous shot of the freeze frame shark attacking the glass feels like it's a t-shirt waiting to happen. I'm just it's saying. It's possible that we, that we may have a reconsider and maybe pop something on there. There's a new series of, uh, uh, Foxy Brown shirts on there right now. Mm. I'm going through a major Pam Griff. Very, very, very cool. Yeah. Um, uh, the Jet T-shirt has, as previously mentioned, been decommissioned by T-Mill for contract uh, for uh, copyright theft. Um, did Diane Udale get she in touch? Did. She did. Uh, although the um, uh, Terminator shirt is back up, if you want a sweary Terminator shirt that looks like a hardcore band shirt from the eighties. Well done, Devlin, and just a quick belated happy birthday, sir. Oh yes. Ah, thanks, man. Yeah, send your cards to. P.O. Box. What are we? D.E.V. Yeah. yeah. Earth Day. E.E.V. We, uh, we did a whip round and we've got, uh, we've got your three tickets to SeaWorld. There you go. You enjoy that, mate. You go say hello to Shami. I don't even know. I, I believe Shami may be dead. Um, but no. Well, yes. Uh, I left my wallet in the tunnel. Ah, very good. <laughs> that guy. I need my wallet. <laughs> Excellent. If you like what we do, listeners, then please like, share, subscribe, spread the gospel team, okay? Pen a wee review on wherever you're listening to this, because it does help bring people to the party. Um, of which, you know, look at what we do. We, we go into these films in great depth and we're serious about it. We have an adult in the room for crying out loud. <laughs> so yes, um, we would really appreciate that. You turned me into the Ebert today. I'll never forget. <laughs> no, no. We, someone's got to do it because uh, we're, we're all a bunch of quaves yeah. just crashing into shit. We will say our goodbyes then, team, shall we? My tube integrity has been compromised. We have leakage and pressure loss. It's Galley in Glasgow. Sign up. I'll have my beeper. Beep your beeper. It's Devlin in London. Hey, they're playing standoff. It's Patrick in London. He could take a flying leap in a rolling donut on a gravel driveway. You hear? It's Matt in South Korea. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast.